Welcome back to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. For Just Checking In Pod episode 150, I wanted to do something memorable. I wanted to get someone on who really meant a lot to the Just Checking In Pod, to me, and to mark the milestone properly. After having a think, I realised there could be no better guest than my first ever guest, the man who was brave enough to come on, bear his soul, Tim Fletcher. Tim works on the railways and is a proud music nerd and Simpsons nerd like me and a working class man. When we did that first podcast episode, I had no idea who would say yes to talking about their mental health with me. Most people at that point would have probably said no, especially when I had no interviewing experience, as you can definitely tell if you go back and listen to that first episode. Tim took the plunge, said yes, and in that moment, in my old producer and close friend Matt Hill's house, we did that first episode record. I listened back to that episode the other week and I cringed and became quite emotional actually in equal measure. Even in the three years since I did that podcast episode in April 2019, I've come a long way with my mental health, overcome so many things and I'm sure Tim has too. In this 150th episode, we reflect on that pod three years ago, how far he's come and where he is with his life right now. We also discuss his difficulties with emotionally detaching from the political climate right now. Tim is passionate about supporting people, but he has found it difficult creating a healthy locus of control with his relationship to politics and especially issues like climate change and the cost of living crisis. We finish with a discussion about social class today and, of course, Fred, his cocker spaniel dog. So this is how JSIP 150, the man, the myth, the legend, the man with the sexiest voice in podcasting, Tim Fletcher, went. Back to where it all began. Tim Fletcher, welcome to the 150th episode of the Just Checking In Pod. Welcome back. Thank you. Three years ago we did that pod. Three years. April 2019. What are your memories of it? How are you, mate? I'm very good, first of all. My memories of the pod are how nervous I was doing it. Same. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, probably you more than me, actually, to be fair. Just because I'd obviously, first of all, never done anything like that, any podcast of any any description, any sort of sit-down chat that was recorded, at least Mm. no chat that was recorded to my knowledge. It wasn't live, at least, imagine. It wasn't, well, yeah. So, obviously, nerves surrounding that aspect of it, certainly an element of excitement, and I think, you know, a bit of honour, you know, Mm. being the first one. And, and being the person that you asked to do the first one, it was a very nice thing to be asked to do. And I think I wanted to live up to that. But also, I'm sure you won't mind me saying this, we've come a long way. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the setup that we, you have yeah, that yeah. now compared to what it very was. Different. We, very different. Very mm. different. It was kind of... Flying all, by the seat of my pants sort of Absolutely, thing. and yeah. all hobbled together. But it, it was great. It mm. was great fun. And I think that added to it. And it felt like we were doing something new. Mm. We, were doing, we were doing our thing for the first time, we were doing this thing for the first time, each of us, and it felt like that. And I think probably a sense of security, because we are both new to it, it's not like yeah. we both came to it and one of us had loads of experience doing 
a podcast or, or talking into a microphone. And since then, you've done loads more stuff, haven't you? I've done a bit of stuff, yeah, a bit of public stuff, you know, spoken word stuff, mainly before the pandemic really kicked in. I've done some music, both live and little home recordings, and shared that with various people and, you know, varying audiences. But yeah, I think that probably gave me the impetus to go and really be a bit more open and, and, and public with either speaking or, 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 or performing. And how much do you attribute any or all of that to the confidence that maybe the pod gave you without I, trying I, to blow, blow smoke on my own? <laughs> no, no, of course. Well, no, please do. <laughs> I think it's a huge factor. It's a factor that I if, I, if I think back and go, you know, where did my desire or confidence to perform and speak publicly come from? There's no getting around the fact that the first event podcast was one of those seminal moments. Mm. And how was it yeah. received when you put it out there? Very positively, mm. very positively, as, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> I think people enjoyed it and, well, we're at 150 now, so it stuck. It was at the beginning of something that has taken off, that has... Well, to, to, to some degree, maybe. Well, I'm I not, think I'm has. not getting 10k listens, mate. But. Well, no, no, but I mean, yeah, that, that's... It's that's kept going. It's kept it's going. not stopped. Well, you're persistent, if nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, persistency is uh, persistence. I should say is one quality that I do have. <laughs> yeah, yeah <that laughs> and consistency as well. Absolutely, because this Absolutely. is a no, big. I mean, no arguments here. You know as well as I do, mate. How many podcasts, COVID podcasts, have sadly RIP'd? A lot of them. Mm. A lot of them. Most of them. <laughs> but what do people do? You know, during lockdown, people they started baking or they started podcasting. That was it. That's all there was to one do. One cause of death of Percy Ingle as well. Really, still not getting over that. Very sad. We have got a lot to talk about. Maybe not as much as we had on the first episode, maybe. maybe not. We've still got loads of things that you're very passionate about discussing. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. without further delay, are you ready to start the show? I reckon so. I reckon so. When we did that first episode, mate, I went back and looked at the running order and it was structured to some degree, but it yeah. wasn't fully formed as my formula now is, and naturally as it wouldn't be. No, it's a bit more ad hoc. Yeah, it was more ad hoc. So you'll get to answer this question yes. that I now ask every guest oh, that yeah. I probably didn't yeah, ask, ask you back yeah. then. So since that first podcast, who is the Tim we meet now? I think broadly, I'm a bit more in control and a bit more able to deal with the more personal struggles that I face I think when we last spoke a lot of the things well all the things that we spoke about were personal matters which often they are in the context of mental health though they, they often are now I think that those personal matters they're obviously still a factor in my mental health but I feel more able to deal with them it's important to note deal with them in a, in a, in a healthy way and I feel like I am more equipped with, with the tools if you'd like necessary to correct negative deviations in my mental catch health. yourself yeah yeah more or less catch myself that is true more often than it isn't it's not 100 percent, obviously never is mate. you know but typically if i'm concerned about things that are happening to me in my life personally the bad days are, are, are that they're a day here or there are a couple of days here or there and usually that's just a time for me to get my head in order and, and and to give myself time to think about things and correct that path as I say and the other side to that is the things that do affect my mental health now 
tend to be bigger picture issues, tend mm. to be broader societal issues, whether those are nationally or globally. Those are the things that I find are having a negative impact on my mental health now. So perhaps external matters versus internal matters. I guess so, yeah. I guess that would be the case. I just feel that a lot of the things that I wake up worrying about or I go to bed worrying about are the things that affect my mood or my obviously my mental health throughout any given day are things that are broad and complex mm. and affect people beyond just myself and don't inv- just involve me or, or, or my friends and members of my family they, they involve as I said you know society they are mm-hmm. societal issues mm. let's talk about that more in depth because outside of the great feedback and the sexy voice that me and Matt repeatedly told you you had podcasts well I've got that going <laughs> it's in my notes so I had to thank say you. thank you <laughs> The crux of your current mental health difficulties and the big part of this section of your mental health journey you wanted to discuss, Tim, was, like you said, your relationship with, I guess, the current political climate and your relationship with your mental health. So unpack that for me more. I think there are two main things affecting my mental health, particularly with, with regards to the political climate. One of those is, in fact, the climate. Uh, so that was an unintentional pun I actually it just was, wrote it down was, but I'll, I'll take it I'll take it the, the, the climate the climate change that we're, that we're experiencing the undeniable change in our climate climate as a result of human activity that we're facing and the other main factor is, is the I suppose the cost of living crisis that we find ourselves in obviously that's more marked for me in Britain but of course that's happening in other parts of the world as well and those two very large, complex matters are the things that are affecting my mental health the mm. most at the moment. And those are very hard to deal with on a personal level and, and to just rationalise yourself out of because mm. they're well, there. Yeah, well, one they're is happening. abstract from you in a sense and one is more pertinent to you in the sense yeah. of it's going to affect you on your day-to-day basis. Of course. Yeah. So you have the cost of living crisis, which is affecting everyone yep. on a day-to-day basis and is obviously more noticeable on any given day of the week, as opposed to climate change, which by its very nature is, is more broad and can be a little bit more intangible and is noticed over longer stretches of time. But coupled together, I find that very broad, wide timescale of climate change and the more narrow but still relatively long-winded issue of the cost of living, it's always there. One of them is always there. One of them is always on my mind. And they're very hard to deal with. As I said, they're very hard to rationalise yourself out because they're there and they make a material impact on your life. And they're also things that personally I have next to no control over. They're outside your locus. Completely. Completely outside my locus. And that's hard to deal with for a couple of reasons. One, no one likes to be out of control in every aspect of their life like that. In these two broad aspects of their life, I should say. And... I feel that those two things are going to have a more acute impact on everyone's life going forward. So however noticeable they are now and however pertinent they are now, I feel that if, if we don't do something drastic about both of these issues, they're going to become more and more pertinent to us. They're going to become more and more noticeable, more and more acute, and they're going to have a greater, greater impact on people's lives, mm. people's quality of lives. On the latter, obviously there are very little things we can do about 
energy bills, really, mm. to a large extent, outside yeah. of just living in the dark. Yeah, yes. <laughs> uh, which I do a lot of the time anyway. Well, yeah, well. Um, but on the former, yeah. with prices rising, has there been anything that you've done in a personal capacity, either cutting down or bringing more control towards yourself, although it might be difficult mm. to make those mm. savings? I think, yes, I've definitely made decisions personal finance decisions that just live a little bit more frugally i'm very aware obviously talking about this that there are people out there and we'll go we'll come on to this idea about negating feelings which we will do there are people out there who are suffering a lot more than i am and i'm in a position where we're not on the bread line i mean mm. we're not suffering tremendously but there are people who are suffering a great deal more than i am and people who are, are in seriously dire trouble about whether they can afford to heat their homes or or, or eat, you know, or feed, or feed their kids. Their kids. Yeah, yeah. Really dark, awful times that a lot of people find themselves in. And I, I just want to, you know, make it known that, or make it clear that I, I realise I am talking from a position of relative privilege and don't for one moment think that I've got it the worst or anything like that. I just want to make that clear. It's almost sad that you have to qualify that no, because I, people I, wouldn't, I don't think people would assume that. No, maybe not, yeah. maybe not, but... There I are, get why you're doing it. It's a good thing to do. I think it's, almost, I think it's yeah. important to recognise and, and, and to note that when you're talking from a position of privilege, I think in any given situation, it's, it's a good thing to do. So back to the original question. Yeah, there are things that I've done and things that you know I live with, with my girlfriend and the things that we've done to live a little bit more frugally. That's, that's for two reasons. That's because obviously things are becoming more expensive and also because it could come a point where you need to have a bit more in your savings, mm. You know, a bit more surplus because you never know what's going to happen, obviously. And the rate at which, obviously, as we discussed, you know, energy prices are, are skyrocketing. At the end of this year, they're looking, the average energy bill is going to be over £3,000 a year. That's a third of the state pension. It's an insane amount of money for a majority of people to be paying. And if energy prices can go like that, anything else can go like that. Food could go like that. Travel, transport, fuel is already increasing. But things can skyrocket and things can snowball so quickly. And I think that in itself is a stress. This isn't an, an economics podcast, you know, but it, it's a material factor that that will have an impact on people's state of mind. Of course. Their ability to cope, their ability to sleep at night, their ability to deal with the smaller stresses in life when they've got to worry about these big picture issues. You spoke there about not wanting to compare yourself to others, but you've said that through empathising naturally as you would and reading their stories online, you've almost added to your own pain or to your own level of stress does that make you more likely to invalidate your experiences do you think it's not a feeling that i felt it's, it's not something that i felt sorry when i hear about these stories the one that springs to mind is one i, I heard on i heard on radio four of a woman who called into the show and they were talking about the cost of living and she was very calm and non-emotional about the whole thing to a point where it, it surprised me she was a widow she was recently widowed and she was talking about how obviously She's lost an, an income, as well as a husband, and how things obviously are becoming more expensive. And she said that when she buys food, she, she tries to buy food that doesn't need cooking because she can't afford to use the energy to cook. And she said, and it's sad because I like to cook sometimes. And it, it broke my heart. It honestly broke my heart. I was, just, I was in the van at work and it broke my heart. And I thought about it all day and it, and it, it kept me up. It kept me awake. What was it about it that kept you awake? What was particular about that story? Just, that shouldn't be happening. That should mm. not be happening to anyone. Can't even 
afford the energy to cook a meal. You know, a basic human necessity in the world that we live in. And she just, that's how close to the mark people are. That's how close to abject poverty people are mm. in a country that is the fifth or sixth or seventh largest economy in the world. And that, that is not okay. Coupled with the fact that over the course of the pandemic, judging by the figures that I've read, that the wealth of billionaires in this country has doubled in the last two or three years. That is unforgivable. It's intolerable. It's absolutely intolerable. I want to come back to that idea of locus here. Uh-huh. How have you gone about working out this locus of control where you would have, like you said, a whatever you would describe as healthy amount of empathy mm-hmm. and emotion towards a person when you hear a story like that which is obviously extremely sad and heartbreaking and not letting it affect you too much to the point where like you said it's keeping you up at night and it's affecting you in a way where you can't control her her situation yeah Yeah, exactly it's hard It's, it's very hard to deal with it and to try and regain a sense of control you know of course objectively i have no control over over that particular woman's situation like I have no control broadly over the situation of any other given person going through this cost of living crisis but you know you have to make a stand you have to do something you have to organize and inform and allow the idea that that it doesn't have to be this way to take root either in your own mind or in the minds of other people of course, that woman on Radio 4, I, from my perspective, you know, I, I can't do anything for her, right? There's nothing I can do for her. But I think that's a, an almost a dangerous way of thinking because if we all think that about everyone, then where does the improvement come from? The improvement is not going to come from the goodwill of however many billionaires we have in, in Britain at the moment. It's not going to come from this government. So there has to be an element of organisation, there has to be an element of fighting back and it is happening, it is happening, there are various organisations and groups who are either one offering advice to offering financial or emotional or mental health support to people who are particularly suffering, we have well I was going to say we have food banks but there's a lot more to be said on food banks I feel like we need more organisation more grassroots campaigns about fighting back against this, this cost of living crisis that we face the practicalities of that are going to be hugely complex. They're going to be difficult and they're going to be, I suspect, quite long and drawn out. But the alternative is to just allow people to suffer and, mm. and fall into complete destitution. From a mental health perspective then, in your mind, and drawing on this point you said about organising, what is enough? What constitutes enough work for you? Is, is it never enough and is that almost a bit of a danger or concern because if you obviously keep working and doing the work you do will you get to a state where you always feel maybe unfulfilled you know in, until the problem is rectified until the problem is dealt with it probably isn't enough how can it be if the problem is still there then enough has not been done and that's sort of matter of fact in my mind but where do you begin that's stressful in itself have i done enough is almost a separate question to am i doing enough because that's a that's a process. Have I done enough? There is, you'll know if you have or you haven't, or you, or you'll know. Will if, you if know? Well, maybe not, maybe not. 
maybe collectively people will know if they've done enough if this situation is resolved but you actually you're right it's hard to know in the moment if you're doing enough my opinion is always no <laughs> but that's a question in and of itself one thing i found slightly sad actually when we spoke off air mate is a certain nihilistic aspect uh-huh. of this issue for you and you said even if i get all of my ducks in a row the problem is still there what's the payoff mm. so at this point do you see your personal mental health being benefited being outweighed by the way society is around you i think my mental health is not being benefited by the state of society naturally yeah naturally <laughs> how could it be and yeah there is a certain nihilistic defeatist outlook sometimes from, from myself i think maybe sometimes i just need those days where i feel that way and just be you know just to draw it helps me draw away from it in a way i think i was referring to climate change at, yeah. that, at that point and talking about how if we were to get the cost of living crisis under control if, if there were some economic policies implemented to get cost of living crisis under control and we solved it and everyone was back to living at the very best days of there might be a new problem though, yeah, yeah yeah around well, the corner that you end up well, drawing onto but if we can get past that then we've still got climate change to deal with do you know what i mean these are two massive factors climate change being the bigger of the two undoubtedly we could be able to solve the cost of living crisis tomorrow it could be six months down the line there could be a struggle for it and we'll get it done and great that would be a positive thing but then you've got climate change which is by all accounts the greatest threat to humanity that we've ever faced mm. and you're getting we talk about summers and like oh my god that was the hottest summer i've ever experienced in, in, in england it's going to be the coldest summer you've ever experienced the rest of your life they're going to get hotter and hotter and hotter we're going to have more flooding we're going to have failed crops we're going to have extreme weather you've got places in india that are, are consistently days on end weeks on end 50 plus degrees this is going to create a food shortage it's going to create a, a migration crisis and i mean that only in the terms of the numbers of people having to move it's going to create humanitarian crises it is going to be a disaster and by all accounts we're already past a tipping point and how do you countenance that how do you make yourself feel better in the face of all that i don't know how have you made yourself at least be able to cope with it just Has there been es- any tools? just escapism i think yeah healthy escapism you know i've gone through periods of my life where escapism is getting fucked up is getting blackout and that never helps because for the rest of the week you're then feeling even worse than you did because those things they have a toll they need payment the older you get the older, it's pretty older you get man yeah it's a four-day yeah. hangover yeah, there alone two days i think i had a beer last week i still feel it um <laughs> but now it's more i think it's escapism not ignoring the idea you know doing my little bit but you see the damage that huge corporations do to the, to the planet and you wonder why am I recycling this tin can? Why am I putting the why am I rinsing out this TV light off standby? Yeah, <laughs> why am I plugging my PC when I'm not using it? You know, you know that. Yeah, like it's it's just what difference does it make? Mm. What difference does it make? What hope is there? And apparently, there is hope, according to greater minds than I, to David Attenborough's, etc. There is still time. There is still hope, and I think that's it. I think that little kernel of of hope is what makes it bearable. Let's move on to sunnier climes. 
That's an interesting turn of phrase. <laughs> well, or better climbs. Yeah. I don't know what the, the, Hot, the sunny, yeah. dry climbs. As we look out my window and it's a heat wave coming. Yes, 30, 30 degrees mm. at what? Just before midday. Two years ago, you made the decision mm. to move out. I did. And I did. into your own place. Yes. You took Fred with you. I did. Fred the Cocker. Fred the Cocker. Not Fred Cocker. Not Freddy Cocker. <laughs> Tell me about that decision, how it's helped your mental health, mm. and of course, probably brought some challenges too no Certainly doubt has. it was just time it was time to move out like a lot of people of my generation of the millennial generation i moved out relatively late i was 20 yeah. i was yeah just before my 28th birthday yeah 27 when i moved out and yeah it was just time I needed my own space love my parents enjoy living at home enjoy enjoy visiting home couldn't live there just because anymore yeah. anymore anymore yeah. nothing happened it was just it was that time it was just time to go and so i moved out with the, the woman i was with at the time yeah, we moved into a flat in Shepherd's Bush. I was, I'd been living in Lambert Grove, West London. And it was great. It was, it, was, it was great to move out. It was great to move out. I moved in with the wrong person, but uh, it was it was nice to be out of... Uh, out, out, out of you character. corrected that. I corrected that, <laughs> yes. Uh, we, yeah, we sorted that out. It wasn't meant to be. That kind of actually fell apart quite quickly. But I was then in the flat on my own with my dog. Not on your own then, really. Oh my, no, God, no. no. Good Jesus, man. What a dog to have as well. What a do- honestly, yeah, what a dog. Honestly, guy. what a dog. Just... And it's not just because he's called Fred. I've met Fred. Yeah. yeah Fred is the best dog. He's a, he's a boy, mate. He is... Well, so how old is he now? Because I met him when he's... he was just above one, I think. How old is he? He's he's six in September. Wow. Time is flying, mate. Yeah, he's getting grey. He's getting grey around <gasps> his mouth. Grey? Yeah. Well, like grey hairs or grey around the... Like... Oh, great grey hairs, yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah, just little ones. Oh, and his eyebrows. He get, he's not going to get the grey side, is he? I think he I might get that the as a He's got a little bit of a grey tash. But it's only little speckles. And because he, he's black and he's so dark... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just they show up so quickly. Oh, okay. But it's very cute. He's probably... He's middle-aged, you know? <laughs> he, and he, he's like... He's, <laughs> Reflects you. <laughs> yeah, he's... he's <laughs> God, get in there, mate. Yeah, he's a grumpy old man. But he's great. He's got... As I always say about Fred, he's got very strong opinions about everything even as a dog just as like dog. just like his dad he's, yes he's got very <laughs> strong opinions he's, he's either delighted or he's angry or he's grumpy or he's hung he's, he just he just very he feels things in a mm. big big way and he's great to have around how important was because you moved out during the pandemic i'm right in saying or around that time yeah yeah so was, how important was he to have during the pandemic just vital vital and i went through like some dark days like after i moved out and previous relationship uh, broke down and 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 just the idea of being in lockdown and the state of the world uh, i went through some really dark times mm. really really dark days and that dog without putting too fine a point in it that dog saved my life honestly that dog was just yeah i owe him a lot i owe mm. him a lot when you were going through that yeah obviously people talk a lot about how dogs are very emotionally intelligent creatures yeah <laughs> cats are perhaps more well-rounded in the range perhaps, of emotions they yeah, have perhaps more, yeah but dogs are, give you that unconditional love perhaps in a greater sense than cats stereotypically obviously stereotypically. there are loads of cats who give unconditional love to you i should say before i get cancelled by cat lovers yeah <laughs> how did he read your emotions when yeah. you were going through those periods did he know did you get the sense that <laughs> he knew maybe the, maybe the more acute times and when it was really quite bad and there were tears yeah it was great more often than not, he's just he's just there, and just being there is great. And what Fred does is he just likes being very close a lot of the time, mm. like either in your lap or lying next to you, or just some sort of contact. And he he loves that. And then when he wants his own space, and you go up to him, he just growls at you. So it's just it's a complete one way street. <laughs> but he's very accommodating when you're feeling bad. 
Yeah. And he's great to have around. And he knows his own boundaries, which is it, good. Again, yeah. strong opinions. Yeah. Just very clear cut what he likes, what he doesn't. Life admin obviously takes on a very different meaning when you're doing it all yourself, mate. It does, it's yeah. something that you wanted to discuss. So was yeah. that a challenge to adjust to? It added. It's, it's an addition to life, isn't it? It's an addition to... The, the daily uh, every, tasks. Yeah, the daily yeah. Tasks, the everyday stresses that you already face. And it's things like, you know, obviously I was, when I was living at Mum's, we, I was obviously paying to live there, but you kind of just hand over a sum of money and that goes to groceries or and you know, council tax and paying to live there and all that. It's just sort of separating all those things into one you're unconsolidating a lump of money and then it becomes you've got to pay all these individual bills and, and all the deductibles come out of your account and, at the yeah, first day of the like, well, I've got no money left <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> and yeah yeah no, it's just one of those things you're realising what I've got to pay and what you've got to set up and I'm very naive actually and I thought I was a capable grown man and turns out that I mean yes in some aspects of course I am but there were just gaps there were just gaps in my knowledge about how to run a home. How did you fill them? Trial and error? Trial and error. <laughs> <laughs> letters start arriving and go, oh, I've got to pay that away. <laughs> Third notice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, trial and error. <laughs> oh, dear. No, I'm kidding. No, it was all right. I just asked for help. I was like, what the hell am I doing? What the hell am I doing? Just do direct debit, mate. Yeah, what, you might be skimp, but at least you yeah. know it's coming out. Yeah, you don't have to do it manually. You're not going to court. <laughs> and then now... Do you feel more on top of that? Obviously, you're in your relationship now with your partner. Or you're still in Shepherd's Bush. Yeah. Probably going to the Empire every week. And <laughs> oh, you got this yeah, five-minute well, walk. Yeah, it's down the road, yeah. How do you feel now in that sense of independence? What have been the positives too? I think just that greater sense of independence, which I always had when I was living at Mum's, and she was obviously aware that I was a grown-ass man. And uh, so, of course, you have independence, but you are always still living under someone else's roof. And to an extent, having to live by their rules and to a degree their uh, expectations you know you don't want to take the piss you don't want to be disappearing for two days and not letting her know where you are like it's just, just disrespectful if nothing mm. else I think being out of sight is nice for me just being come and go as you please sort of yeah. thing I think that's the big thing for me for sure for sure. which you know it doesn't happen now we're, we're always living under someone's expectations we're social creatures there are very few people who are true individuals you know mm-hmm. i still have i live with my partner and i've still got a dog you know that's a responsibility yeah. like that's i can't just disappear but having my own space being able to cook breakfast in my pants is nice and sleep in and watch what i want listen to what i want you know me mate listen to some bangers as well of so, course so that's you've seen the collection i've seen it i'm looking at it now it's lovely just every day Nice freedoms, niceties. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. The, the perks, mm. the perks. I want to talk about one more issue before we reflect on Please. this mental health journey continued. Yes, which is social class, and I think we touched on it maybe a little bit in the first episode, but yeah, maybe not too did. much. Yeah. So just tell me why you wanted to discuss it, perhaps again through a mental health lens, and in what capacity? I think because I maintain that you know there are so many things that divide us and many of those things shouldn't divide us but unfortunately they do for various reasons that said i think the biggest divider of people and thing that determines your quality of life and your opportunities the most is your class i think greater than you and i i simply must mention my position of privilege on this one i'm a white man a white cisgendered male and so I, again, am talking from a position of privilege. However, I still maintain that class is the biggest divider. 
that you are working class you're proudly working class yeah proudly working class as, as much as one can be I didn't have much input into it you know but, but <laughs> there is, there is, there is how the chips fell and yeah I am a, I'm a working class man you know I don't know if you mentioned you know work on the railway and yeah working class man from a working class family and it, it is the biggest factor in, in determining our opportunities in life and I think our quality of life certainly at the beginning unless there is any social mobility if such a thing can really happen and from a mental health perspective, I think that the world is inherently a more precarious and stressful place for working class people based on a number of factors. The most obvious and evident one of those, particularly at the moment, is financial, mm-hmm. typically lower income, typically in more precarious housing. And those are real material factors that have a day-to-day impact on the mental health and physical health of working class people. Do you think we're forgetting class in the conversation right now? What, societally, do you think? Just the way we discuss issues. Do you think we discuss it less in regards to class? I don't, I don't think it is spoken about. I don't think that's a new phenomenon. Mm. You know, the thing that I think about is this whole, you know, we're talking at a time now where there's this change of leadership for the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson has resigned and... Well, he's indicated he's, he's, he's indicated Yeah, 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 yeah. He <laughs> actually has, any he has an, he has here, but he's act, indicated. Yeah, he's, he, he has indicated he resigned. He hasn't actually gone yet. And you know, the front pages are, are full of this story, this Westminster bubble story about Johnson is going to go, merely go. Who's going to replace him? The leadership contest is on. That matters to very, really, really matters to very, very few people. I would say until it's decided and there is a new Prime Minister, Perhaps. yes. But these things are very much Westminster stories, in my opinion. These are very much stories for people who can afford to treat politics as drama. Gossip, yeah. As a spectacle. Or you at know, worst, a game. Or at worst, a game. You know the old saying that politics is show business for ugly people. I've not heard that one I've only heard the boxing one. Uh, (laughs) Politics is show business for ugly people, right? And it feels that way at the moment because it does feel very theatrical. It feels like a a, a drama, and it is. It's a psychodrama. It's always been a drama to some extent, though, hasn't it? Of course it has. But because of this whole rigmarole that we're going through and because how long and drawn out it's been and because there is a scandal every week, Politics isn't being done. Policy isn't being done. We don't have a functioning government at the time of speaking. And that has a detrimental effect on the lives of people who can't afford to have any more detriment to their lives. This whole story is, in my opinion, as I said, a drama in the Westminster bubble. And it is immaterial in the most part to people who don't know where their next meal is coming from. Can no longer go to food banks because people can't afford to donate to food banks anymore. Mm. we've gone full circle the food bank system is already in, in, in trouble one could argue the whole idea of and concept of food banks is in itself an argument in regards to why are they needed yeah, it's yeah. horrific yeah. It's the, the, the fact that we have 2 million plus food parcels going out I think every week is a disgrace is a national disgrace and nothing short of that should not be happening should not need to be happening it's got so bad now as I said that people who were donating to food banks, and let's not forget, these all rely on donations from good people. Because of the cost of living crisis, people can no longer donate to those food banks. So where are people's meals coming from? How are people eating? And the answer is they're not. People are going hungry to feed their children. 
and some children themselves are going hungry and we've heard countless times about how during the school year that lunch might be the only meal a child gets in a day or the breakfast or, or whatever the breakfast, they have yeah. 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 and that is as I said at the beginning intolerable yeah the Marcus Rashford thing feels a long time ago doesn't it it does but mm. why was he having to do it why was Marcus Rashford having to do it what is the point of a government what is the point of a government if they cannot even feed people I want to reflect now on the mental health journey you've gone on since we chatted, mate. Yeah. So what has the next bit of your journey taught you about yourself? It's taught me that, again, I have an ability to mostly deal with the personal issues that, that face me. And more importantly than that, I, I don't mean it's just that things have come up and I've dealt with them. I feel now more prepared to deal with things that might arise and things will arise things mm. will always arise that's, that's, that's the, life that's, 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 that's the nature of life bad things will come bad things will happen eventually and I feel more able to, to deal with those when they come I feel more confident I feel more steady I feel more well prepared and that does bring in itself a sense of peace and a sense of pride in a way pride in yourself or pride no, for in sure. what you've yeah. no, achieved pride. Pride in myself, but yeah, pride in what I've achieved. But or both. Yeah, yeah, same thing, I think. But yeah, there is certainly a, a sense of pride and a sense of having come a long way where I think when we last spoke, I, I, I feel like I was dreading whatever might happen next because I thought it might just be the straw that broke the camel's back. Derail you, you know, completely. Completely yeah. derail me, end up in a really bad way. But I don't fear that anymore. I go through days, and I was suffering a lot of anxiety and, and depression and grief as well. And grief, about, grief, yeah. yeah. That was obviously a bit more acute. And I don't feel those things as strongly anymore. I think the thing that I feel the most at the moment is probably stress. That's probably what it is, whether that's with you know, society or things we've touched on or, or you know, work. Or... So how do you separate the stress then, or the concept of stress, from the anxiety that you've discussed in this podcast? Are they interlinked? I think... I think they must be, mustn't they? But I think I'm just talking from a purely my own experience that it manifests itself as stress, right? More than it, it does anxiety. I think for so me, like a pressure compared to a worry. I think so. I think anxiety for me was always a bit. There was no target. It was targetless. I always described it as there was no real focus to it. There was no real goal. To it was just there. Anxiety it was just there. I didn't know what I was anxious about. Stress is slightly different. The stress that I face is slightly different. The stress that I feel is slightly different because I know exactly what it is. And that, I think the stress is probably a little bit more intense than the anxiety, but at least being able to explain what it is right. that is stressing me out is in itself cathartic and therapeutic in a way. When I talk to people about it, I go, I'm really stressed. They go, what are you stressed about? And I go, this, that, Ian, and that, and the other, everything that I've, we've, we've spoken about here. And it's helpful because people can go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. With anxiety, I'm really anxious. What are you anxious about? I have no idea. So is the anxiety was more scary? Yeah, it's more... It's more anxiety-inducing. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's more nightmarish. It's more... It makes less sense. That in itself is scary. Mm. You know, you're like, I'm really anxious. a really intense feeling. Something really bad's going to happen. Why do you feel that way? And you go to explain it and you say, oh, well, I, I can't. Nothing's... Then it's hard for people to help you Nothing's well. wrong. Yeah, yeah, what can people do about that? You can't address that other than... Well, you know, most people don't have the tool set to address anxiety. You have to go to talk to someone who, more often than not, is a professional or, or you know, you end up in the long run taking mm. medication for it and it's it's not a nice way to be. Yeah. 
and then as a final question, if you could go back and talk to the Tim who was struggling with the issues we discussed in that first episode, whether it was grief or the anxiety, what would you say to him knowing what you do now? I think what we'd all say to our younger selves when there is a, when you're facing a, a mental health battle, if you'd like, that if things do eventually get better in a way. They do become more manageable. They, they do rectify themselves. Those intense feelings of anxiety and grief and loss don't last forever. And they had a very deep impact on my general sense of self-worth, I think, collectively. And you'd kind of just like to go back and explain to that person that those things are extremely temporary and that in the grand scheme of things, they won't matter even in three years' time. They will be distant memories, learning experiences, and you will be a altogether stronger, more robust and complete person. Our final topic of conversation, Tim, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests. We didn't have a chance to do it with <laughs> you because this, <laughs> this conversation wasn't even here. No, it this wasn't. topic wasn't it here. Wasn't. We didn't know what we were doing. It wasn't even in the running order. I didn't no. know what I was doing. Dogs chasing our tails. Exactly. Fred chasing Fred. Yes. <laughs> It is a general natter and Great. chat about mental health. So firstly, mate, how is your mental health? Pretty good. Pretty good on the whole, despite everything I've been banging on about. It's actually okay. There are days where I feel stressed or weeks where I feel stressed, particularly stressed. But, you know, more often than not, it's okay. And I'm able to deal with it and cast it out of my mind and give myself a break. That's the best way, mate. What age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health? And you realise that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind and a product of your mental health. Wow. I think there are probably different developmental... Of course, there are different developmental periods, aren't there? But, you know, if I think back to a point where... I mean, what does constitute mental health? Does being an emotional, hormonal teenager constitute becoming aware of your mental health? I I suspect it probably does. Were you aware of it, though? Because I went through trauma and I didn't realise it was mental health. No, probably not. I mean, as far as I'm aware, I I didn't go through any trauma per se, but not as a teenager at least. I think I became more aware of my general mental health and my mental well-being. Late teens, early 20s probably, started really thinking about it and had a few periods of depression and anxiety when I was maybe 18 or 19. Mm -hmm. So I would say then, realising that this wasn't right and this wasn't, a, a phase or yeah and certainly not sustainable yeah tell me about the first conversation you had with someone about your mental health then so who was it with what did you say and did it feel like on the one hand a big mm. moment or a big burden or weight even lifted off your shoulders or on the other did it feel like something quite easy insignificant and normal to do I think probably the first mental health conversation I recall having was again when I had a, a brief episode of well, I think it's probably a brief episode of, of, of depression and anxiety when I was 18 or 19 and had the conversation with a therapist that I was seeing at the time. So it was a professional conversation? It was a professional conversation. Yeah. It's the first one that I can recall. I think it was probably the first one where I, I felt I could articulate what it was that I was feeling and then she helped give me the language to describe mm. what it was that was going to on. To vocalise it. To vocalise mm. it, you know, because there was obviously something wrong but I didn't know how to explain it and I didn't know how to explain to girl that I was seeing at the time, I didn't know how to explain to my parents, I didn't know how to deal with it, I didn't mm. know what to say. You, know, you end up lashing out, you end up being a thoroughly unpleasant person. 
but having that conversation with the, the therapist that I initially spoke to is probably the first proper mental health conversation I can recall having. What triggers do you have that affect your mental health? So it could be things Ooh. people say to you, it could be a sound, a particular yeah. social environment, a book, film, play, whatever it is, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I either haven't figured it out or I don't think I have a specific trigger like mm-hmm. that. There are things that will become aware, that I'll become aware of and that will get me stressed out like when I realise I've got a lot of so little errands to do or uh, rushing yeah rushing oh or, that's or, one of my lot, big triggers lot of stuff yeah. to do at work or yeah, ru- rushing is yeah. yeah if that's a trigger then absolutely rushing yeah. to get somewhere absolutely I hate it. it I do it to myself I end up rushing to get all my shit together to get out the door and it's horrendous and it stresses me out big time push and fight or flight absolutely does and it takes me a half hour to, to come down from that and, and to actually become able to even hold a conversation so that is a bad one realising that I've forgotten to do bits or that I've got loads of stuff to do on my to-do list and it's all slapdash and things all over the place and disorganised disorganised to-do lists and disorganised errands to run really stress me out as mm. well. Conversely then, mm-hmm. what tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have you found that have worked and maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't worked? I think things that do work, particularly more recently, maybe in the last few months, maybe last year, are allowing myself periods of escapism. I think escapism can be unhealthy. Tim time. Tim time. Tim time's good. TT. TT. I think escapism can become unhealthy if, you know, I think... If it's a negative I, Yeah, I think, I think excessive yeah. escapism is actually an indicator of depression, but it's important to allow myself time to read books and to watch films and to listen to music and do all those normal cliche things without feeling guilty about them without feeling that this is me ignoring the problem you're taking yourself away from something else you know it's taking myself away from an issue it's like you know you can't run and run and run forever you've got to take a breather you've got to stop you've got to have a sleep you've got to give yourself time to recover and for me that is giving myself a few hours or even a day or even a couple of days of just not dealing with anything and just giving myself some time to re and trusting myself to go back to dealing with those things that need dealing with. What is the best book, or as I call it, mental health bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health related, yeah. but it doesn't exclusively have to be. Oh, okay. So it could be a book that I've read that has helped me... It doesn't have to be self-help, essentially. Yeah. I think a book that always sticks with me is The Old Man and the Sea by Ernest Hemingway. Because it's a tiny book. It's going to be about 100 pages, maybe. But it's about a man falling in love with with a struggle. It's about a man who is in love with the ordeals that he faces and realises that they define him. Now, I don't feel like that about things that I struggle with. It's a very stoic attitude. But it is a very stoic attitude and, and very oddly old-fashioned attitude that I don't even know if I subscribe to. But when I read it, there was and there is this sense of reassurance or, or peace and that that is in itself a way to be that is a way that you could be if you were so inclined you know admittedly this old man's struggles were about catching fish but he lived a very frugal difficult life and i just found this sense of calmness in that this sense of simplicity control and simplicity mm. it was control he had to struggle he did 
and he had to fight for his own subsistence and to scrape enough food or money together to live to the next day to go out on his boat and, and catch more fish. But the peace that I derived from, from him accepting that and being this is what I do, it helped me. Mm. And as a final question then, Tim, mm-hmm. on this 150th episode, what more do we have to do to ensure men from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable, mm. feel safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? Of course, if they want to do it. I think continuing to do things like this, what I mean by that is continuing to to normalise the conversations that men have around their mental health, to continue to encourage gently and respectfully encourage people to talk about their mental health and to keep you know keep an eye out on your pals and you know we, we know our friends we, we know when they're not doing well and so to continue to ask them if they're okay to continue to check in with them just check it in man that's one of the best things you can do and on that note the 150th episode we've taken it back to where it all began we are now at the end who can believe it Tim Fletcher thank you so much thank you thank you for being the first guest yeah. and being this guest on the just checking in thank podcast. you very much mate well we have come to the end of this 150th episode of the just checking in podcast thank you to my boy the man the myth the legend the sexy voice tim fletcher for coming on to reminisce and check in with me again i hope you guys all enjoyed it and as always thank you to all of you who's tuned in and who've tuned in to the last 150 classic episodes and potentially 150 more episodes to come if you've liked what you've heard give it a share on social media tell your friends or work colleagues about it if you like what we're doing here at vent make sure to write us a review and give us a five-star rating on apple podcasts or support us at patreon that's at www.patreon.com slash vents help uk or you can make a one-off donation to our gofundme we hope to check in with you again very soon and remember guys it is always okay to vent